0: Hello, and welcome to Catholic in America. I'm Father Michael Nixon, and we are so blessed to be joined today by a Benedictine monk, Father Boniface Hicks, who is a monk of the Arch Abbey of St. Vincent in Latrobe, Pennsylvania. Father Boniface, it's so great to have you on the show.
1: Father Michael, it's wonderful to be with you. Thanks for having me on.
0: I'm glad you brought your beard as well. I think that's that. That's a—the <laughs> <a>, uh, <laughs> whole, the whole thing is there. Um, so w- with this we're we're filming this. You you guys are up in Pennsylvania, um, and we're down here in the South. Um, and, and so, seeing a monk, uh, see, you know, seeing with with the black robes and the long beard, what's what's the number one reaction that you get out and about when people uh, uh, see uh, see you as a monk? Is it that it's is it a costume, or is it a a uh, uh, do they just not even have categories for it?
1: I I've gotten just a, about a little bit of everything. I uh, from uh, orthodox jew to orthodox monk to uh to wiccan to uh <laughs> i've uh, a zen master um some people i remember one guy goes i'm i'm curious about what you are <laughs> well that's good Yeah, people don't really know. Uh, It's interesting because the Benedictines preceded a lot of the Christian symbols. So our our abbot wears a cross, but none of the rest of us do because none of us want to be the abbot. So uh, we all have a long robe, but there's no rosary. We preceded the rosary by 700 years. And uh, so it doesn't have traditional Christian symbols. So people kind of don't know exactly what to do with all of that. Yeah, I get a lot of head turns. Not that I notice, but I I'm always reminded when I'm walking with someone else, they tell me how many people are looking at me.
0: That's right. I, I've had friends when I get on planes, they like to go behind me because they want to see all the heads that will turn when they see <laughs> see the uh, the Roman collar. So um, I want to I want to jump right into this as far as like let, let, let's jump into what is a monk? If someone asks, asks you that question, when we say a Benedictine monk. Um, as as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, and then we're going to get to your road there as well. But but you know, kind of kind of the, the broad definition of what a monk is and what your life is all about.
1: Well, monk comes from the word mono that we know well means alone or one, and one way to think of that is the monk is the one who is alone with God, and that would be fair. Uh, I do live in a community of monks, however, uh, there were, in Christian history. The the movement of hermits, those monks who live totally alone, uh, developed just almost side-by-side side with uh, communities of monks, and so both have kind of uh, interacted with each other throughout the tradition. But I do live in a community, so I'm not alone. At the same time, another way to understand mono is uh, that I have a, a singular focus. And that's how I like to take the the rule of St. Benedict. I'm a particular kind of monk. I'm a Benedictine monk, a follower of St. Benedict, and try to live out his rule in community. Uh, That rule was written back in about 500 AD. And uh, a key verse of the rule is we know the divine presence is everywhere with us. And really, the whole rule is arranging the life of the monk to be aware of God's presence in everything. And so Saint Benedict talks about how God is uh, present in the stranger who comes to visit, and Benedictine monasteries are known for their hospitality for that reason. All strangers, uh, guests, should be received as Christ. The, God is in the sick of the community, and they should be treated with special care. God is certainly in the abbot of the community who stands in the place of Christ. God is is also in the presence of the young who speak, like many times in Scripture, with a particular wisdom that the community should listen to. Uh, God is in the workplace. All of the tools of the workshop should be treated like the sacred vessels of the altar. God is in the place where the monks eat, and it's arranged in a way that reminds us of the the oratory of the place of prayer. And uh, God is there when the monk is away from the monastery, and he should kneel down at the proper times and pray pray the divine office. And then So, so really the whole rule is arranged around this idea, this, this uh, principle of faith that God is everywhere. Mm. And then St. Benedict says, we should be especially convinced of this when the monks are gathered for the divine office to pray, to celebrate the work of God, the liturgy of the hours. And so that becomes our fixed point. And we go back to that multiple times a day, a traditional Benedictine monastery would pray the liturgy of the hours eight times a day. And that becomes the reset point. We really know God is there, and then we keep trying to be sensitive, aware of his presence in all of the other aspects of life.
0: That to that's me is something that, that's probably, uh, and I know is, is so uh, sought after nowadays, especially where people are so busy, we're so constantly bombarded with noise and distraction. And you see this even in the secular world, what to speak in, in, in religious the religious context, people seeking balance or seeking you know how to you know uh, uh mindfulness or cultivating those those places of of, of silence in their lives um and, and uh, so the fact that you guys kind of live your your lives ordered towards that 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 um uh, to me would speak to a lot of freedom that that you you must enjoy a lot of freedom um and is that something that that do people come seeking you guys out or people kind of like knocking at the door of the monastery just you know seeking some sort of secrets of, of of the monks, uh, <laughs> how to find happiness or, or holiness or silence?
1: Well, like I say, our tradition goes back 1,500 years, and, and monasteries have played that role throughout Christian history. Monasteries are really responsible for developing Western civilization. Uh, my own patron, Saint Boniface, was the apostle to the Germans, and he befriended Charles Martel, who was the grandfather of Charlemagne. So the the Holy Roman Empire really was built in, in a kind of conjunction with monasteries, which had spread throughout Germany, throughout Europe as places of learning, hmm. places of prayer, places of peace. And that tradition continues. Monasteries have different, our, our monastery is particularly active. We have a college and a seminary, and there's a lot of activity. We have 2,000 acres of land, and there are plenty of people here. Um, but there is a a sense everybody that comes here feels the peace. And, and I attribute that in a large part to the regularity of prayer. We have 650 monks who are buried up on the hill, who have mm-hmm. gone before me in the last 175 years since we were founded here in Latrobe. And there's been a prayer every day, multiple times a day, monks gathering together. We never miss a day. And so for 175 years, there's been continual prayer in this place. And the sensitivity to the divine presence leads to an ordered life. Uh, and and peace is the tranquility of order is a traditional definition. And so people really do experience peace just to come on our property, to spend a, uh, a little bit of time praying with us, to just receive our hospitality, and then certainly to consult with particular monks. And I'm one of those monks that does a lot of spiritual direction, directs retreats and that kind of thing. And so... A lot of people come seeking that here at st at vincent and and different monasteries around the world
0: and i mean i'm definitely one of the beneficiaries of that who, who who sought you out in spiritual direction and um just just experience the wisdom not only of you yourself but in a sense of what you represent of of you know the the fifteen hundred years of 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 monastic tradition behind you, so you know, kind of looking at at your life then as far as someone who is radically following Jesus, you know, because this is this is really in a sense the fruition of of a life of discipleship. Um, Did you start out this way? You know, you know, you know, you know, was this something you always wanted to be? Because I think that's such a such a fascinating sort of, of of story of of how you ended up in the in this spot. And you weren't born a monk, and you weren't born with that beard, you know. So, so, so the the story of, of how you got got here, I think, is is fascinating and really worth sharing.
1: Well, I, if I can just say one moment about what you kind of said in passing there uh, for Father Michael, that this is really radically following Jesus. When I say the divine presence, God's presence, of course, all of that's only possible because of the incarnation. So, mm. uh, although I, I only used uh, the name uh, the word Christ there once the the bened, the deeply Benedictine sense is, you know Jesus is in our work, Jesus is in the sick, Jesus is in the the young, Jesus is in the abbot, Jesus, you know, so uh, I, you could you could really emphasize the uh, the presence of Jesus made possible through the Incarnation. And so mm-hmm. this is not replaceable by some other kind of non christian monasticism. we We really can only live this because of our faith in Christ. And uh, you, you asked about whether I always dreamed of this. I, I grew up without any religion. Uh, I wasn't even baptized as a child. I, I really didn't go to church growing up. Um, I grew up in the United States, and things are, if anything, Christian. At least the embers of Christianity are everywhere. But it was more prominent for my parents. My parents really grew up without any religion. But in the 40s and 50s, the United States was much a much more Christian culture. By the time that my brother and I were growing up in the 70s and 80s, that Christian culture was really falling apart quite a bit more. And I was much more of a a secular humanist, uh, an atheist by the time that I was in, even in high school and then certainly in college and uh, becoming a monk, a priest, uh, (laughs) never even crossed my mind in the slightest way. (laughs) Not one of the career options that came up on the career finder thing for me <laughs> it was uh, not one of the possibilities. I went to Penn State uh, and studied computer science and fashioned myself a, a scientist and able to really create things. Computer science is also fairly lucrative. I was ready to be successful, make a lot of money, have a family. Um, these were these were the things that I was aiming at uh, going to college at Penn State.
0: I think that's that, that's again so just just fascinating how God works and 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 uh, and how the path that we follow. But I think too just just recognizing that everything in your life, even you know, uh, even growing up in a. Basically, a non-Christian home, in a sense, still prepares you for uh, for this this life of, of of being a monk. So, so in, in your upbringing, even with that direction towards computer science, what aspects of that do you really feel are, are are still you know something that that you that you uh, find are important for your life now as a monk, as different as this road has been for you uh, to follow the Lord in this way.
1: Well, thanks for pressing on that a little bit, Father Michael. I've told my story a lot of times and and in the process of telling it, uh, I still have a very good relationship with my parents. And my my dad would sometimes say uh, a little bit hurt, like, we're the bad parents that didn't raise you in the faith. You know, like that's our role in your story. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's not, that's not accurate. My parents, uh, my mother has gone to the Lord now uh, for about four years ago. And, uh, and my dad is still alive. And my parents are marvelous people. And they really formed my brother and me in, in, uh, in a lot of virtue, natural virtue, uh, upheld, being polite, kind, having integrity, working hard, uh, a, lot of import, a lot of values that have served me well, uh, were great examples. They were very set, self-sacrificial people, loved my brother and me very well. My dad is very faithful. He was a, a submarine commander. And then uh, worked in, in several government positions after 30 years in the Navy and uh, my mother was a stay-at-home mom who who went back and uh, got was educated and then taught preschool after uh, my I was in high school my brother was out of the house and uh, so just very very good people and so they really gave us the best of kind of secular humanist values of natural values and, and those things are very important for me and so when I went to school at Penn State I was you know, I started Penn State as a junior. My parents were always very invested in education, and so when we moved, uh, because of my dad, they found the best schools and the best school systems, and so they really set my brother and me up to thrive as much as possible. Uh, again, in a in a, a way of natural virtue. So, and certainly the thinking in computer science and the structure in science in general, mathematics, all of that logical thinking is uh, extremely helpful for laying the foundation of of our faith which is built on a logic it's built mm. on the divine logic the logos the word who became flesh and dwelt among us as john's gospel says and and that was really the gospel of my conversion that prologue of john's gospel is what cut into my life eventually and uh, after which I, I really became a believer so i think a lot of that natural foundation was really important for preparing the way of faith
0: uh, i love that i didn't realize i didn't realize the connection um between our families, my grandfather was a submarine captain in World War II, and um, really had his whole career. Yeah, and on uh, on di- those diesel subs back in the day, and and uh, so yeah, he was he was. My off dad the had
1: one of the last two diesel subs in the fleet in his squadron.
0: Oh man, yeah, and uh, so anyway, yeah, that, that's that, that's 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 the sort of work. God bless those that that do it. God bless our <laughs> military. But my goodness, the older I get, the more claustrophobic I get. So I, I just know. I'm so glad that I was not call, <laughs> called in that direction. So, as as a young man going to Penn State, computer science, um, you know, having education being so so important, being a secular uh, secular humanist, I, I, I guess, kind of in your um, or even atheist, you know, you know, in in your your in your philosophy or values, how did you come to faith? How did you come to know the Lord? And 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 how did that eventually lead to becoming a monk?
1: Well, I'm I'm sorry to say that uh, the the first opening actually I'll, I'll even say a little bit before that in high school there there could have been an opening my soccer coach i was a very avid soccer player and i played on a traveling team and my soccer coach was a daily communicant he mm. was a very faithful very faithful catholic and i was very open to him if he had really tried to evangelize me i would have been very receptive to that and i had several members of my soccer team that also went to the catholic school um but none of them really worked on me and then i went to college <laughs> And I made a bunch of friends, almost all of whom were Catholic and still going to to mass on Sunday and also in the scholars program in science and engineering. And I asked them questions and none of them really had anything to share with me either. So it's always my uh, uh, hard hitting message to Catholics. Be prepared to give a reason for your hope uh, to quote from St. Peter. So. I was open to some other things. I had a, a cousin studying uh, philosophy at Penn State. It was a couple years ahead of me at the same time. Uh, interestingly, the the wait to get into the weight room at uh, at rec rec hall at Penn State was about a half an hour. You had to stand in line to actually get in. And so my, my cousin and I had these really intense philosophical conversations where we were getting ready to lift weights. <laughs> so, uh, and, that, and that, he was, that's the he best was time for
0: it. That, that's the best place. I th- for I it think is, so. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, you work your head and then you work it out. It's, that's right. uh, it's great. That's right. <laughs> so he was very into, into like Zen. He got me to read Zen in the art of motorcycle maintenance that kind of opened a door. I read, a. I got into a little bit of. Uh, there's a book uh, by John Kabat Zinn called uh, Wherever You Go, There You Are. You know, oh, this is very interesting. I mean, and I read a little bit of Taoism uh, and I found some of these ideas. Uh, in Taoism, in, in there's a sense of, of life uh, moving like a river through a forest. And this is an image of God. And it was actually helpful to kind of break me out of. Some of the Monty Python vision images of God. Mm-hmm. I had watched a Quest for the Holy Grail when I, I think I was in fifth grade or something, and some of these things really corrupted my mind. They sat there as an image of Christianity that uh, I could easily make fun of, like Monty Python did. But, but Taoism actually moved me back into a space that's uh, closer to the truth, that of God as being, not as God as like this old bearded guy up in the clouds that gets irritated that we grovel, you know. So. <laughs> Uh, Some of that reading and discussion sort of opened me up to the transcendent—that there was something more. And in the midst of that, uh, I was—I stayed at Penn State over the summer after my freshman year. I was doing computer science research. I mean, this is how invested I was. I had a grant. I was, you know, uh, and I was sitting under a tree reading a technical paper in computer science. And these two guys walked up to me. The one guy started talking to me, and. After a little bit, he invited me to study the Bible with him one on one. And Hmm. uh, I thought, wow, that's about the last thing that I want to do. And so he said, So, would you be willing to get together and do that? And I said, Okay. Uh, And basically, in my mind, you know, my mom taught me to be polite. I didn't have a good excuse, but I also thought, okay, well, I'll give the Christian guy a chance. You know, I've started looking at Zen, Taoism, whatever. If I'm going to be open, We'll give the Christian guy a chance. And he says, we're going to read the book of Genesis. And I'm like, this is going to be a total waste of time. So <laughs> I got together and we read Genesis chapter one. And to his credit, he was very humble, very authentic, really trying to share his faith with me, not trying to put a hard sell on me. And that was really important. So it didn't put up my walls. And I was really open to hear what he had to say. And what he shared with me about Genesis chapter one was it was more about relationships. It was about God's relationship with creation. It was about God's relationship with human beings. It was about man's relationship with creation. And then I remember at the end of that first Bible study, he said to me, you know, God made man with a purpose to rule over the earth and subdue it, to be fruitful and multiply. He said, and God has made you with a purpose that nobody else can fulfill. Do you ever think what that might be? Hmm. And that was a completely different perspective. I sort of thought I was placed on this earth randomly. Uh, I I emerged in this world randomly, and it was up to me to kind of fight my way for whatever I was going to get. The idea that there was a purpose that preceded me, that my life was meant to fulfill, was a totally different concept than I had ever considered before. So I ended up leaving that Bible study thinking, this is a really good use of an hour of my time. And so mm. I went back the next week and the next week and the next week. And I had some internal struggles. I ran away from it. I avoided him for a little while. And he never shamed me, never guilted me, always patiently kept reaching out to me. And we got back together and we got back on track. And, uh, and I really started to, to develop a nice relationship with this guy, David, and, uh, and started to learn more about the scripture. But it was a little bit abstract for me. I didn't really understand what this had to do with my life, really. Hmm. How does this change how I live today? Uh, Zen, some of these things seemed more present—breathing, meditation, you know, this kind of thing. So, um, but a, but a real turning point happened when we moved from Genesis to the Gospel of John, and something really clicked in reading those first verses of the Gospel of John. And the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made through him. Without him, nothing came to be that came to be. And what came to be through him was life. And this life was the light of men. And then that word became flesh and dwelt among us. And I I heard in those first verses, uh, I heard echoes of Taoism. But then they're resolving in the word becoming flesh. I heard this transcendent mysticism. But it was being delivered to me through Christianity. Mm. And I discovered that everything I had found interesting in these other places was all there in this Christian revelation that I was encountering. And, and there was a grace there.
0: No, yeah. It's not merely yeah. a logical
1: consequence of those things. Something in my openness, the Lord's presence in that moment, speaking to me in that word. And I I made a decision at that moment. I believe. I believe that this is the truth. I believe that God is real, and I'm going to go in this direction. I think that this is the way that that I'm going to find what I'm looking for.
0: It, it reminds me. There's a concept that the fathers would use when they would, they would explore ancient philosophies, Greek philosophy, and Near Eastern or Far Eastern, and that that there's so much truth within that, that. That this is the the seeds of the Word. You know that it's 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 not it's not quite the revealed Word of God. It's not quite um, everything that God has been revealed to his people throughout the old Testament, but it's kind of like these echoes, these faint echoes throughout history of longing for what is, is ultimately for, finds its fulfillment in Jesus. And, and I, I think that's amazing in a sense that you you got to kind of enact that in your own life um, to, to see those seeds of the word, even as striving after truth or, or meaning or purpose or, or balance or, uh, you know, a mindfulness, you know, like those sorts of things in and of themselves, you know, uh um, uh, they can't save, but when they when when they when you meet their their source or their purpose in Jesus, it begins to give everything new light.
1: Yeah, yeah. We we built a lot of Christian theology on uh, Greek philosophy, Plato and Aristotle, mm. and uh, the the incorporation of Greek philosophy is uh, has been a great blessing for us. Uh, none of them are sort of canonized in Christianity, and so there's there's truth in philosophical reflection. And uh, one of the projects of the Jesuits who were evangelizing China was to actually build a Christian theology on Taoism. So Taoism is comparable to like Platonism. It's, a, it's not a religion, really. It's a philosophy and, and in some ways is more advanced than Platonism. But I, I was only many years later that I discovered uh, in China, some Chinese translations of the Bible, they'll actually use Tao for logos, for the word. So in the beginning was the Tao and that was really the, the insight that I had, you know, and then of course, again, it's, it's transcending just like word is really a, a Greek a philosophical connection, but then the word becoming flesh blows away all of the, the preceding thoughts. You know, this, uh, this is not nothing that man ever came up with. This right. is something that yeah. God did. And then revealed to us. And and that would be the sense of of that philosophical foundation in some of the Eastern religions, but then finding its its real fulfillment and transcendence in Christianity.
0: Yeah, I think C. S. Lewis described it as as, you know, we have all these myths and 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 stories and and of, of gods, the, the God who dies and rises again, or this, but in a sense that Christianity it's the myth that's actual, that's actual history, that's actual reality. Mm -hmm. So it's not just like a, a, a kind of a, you know, a mythic story, you know, or, or symbolic uh, image, um, or understanding or insider philosophy that it's, it's a person and the person of Jesus Christ. And we, we actually come to know him. So do you you remember what that was like for you to kind of like understand, you know, the word, the word was made flesh, you know, obviously you said, you know, as, as a monk that your whole life revolves around that reality. Um, but for, for you to, to know Jesus and know him in, in a personal way and, and, and how did that begin to, 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 uh, impact your life and, and, the, and your decisions yeah. from, from that point forward.
1: Yeah, great question. Um, so again, I, I remember very clearly I was sitting, I, I, I had a roommate and I was on the bunk, uh, and I was reading the Bible and, and I read that passage and it just, it clicked into place. I mean, I can picture myself there, feel myself there really right now. And there was a real shift. I mean, I made it a very intentional act of faith, and and I started reading John's Gospel. I mean, as much as I had dismissed Christianity, I never really encountered it. It's, I just I never really read the Bible before, and so I, I started reading more of John's Gospel, and then, um, I, I I still had kept this to myself a little bit. We studied John chapter one, we studied John chapter two, but then when we studied John chapter three, it has that great evangelical verse John three sixteen for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that those who believe in him might not be condemned but might have eternal life um might not perish but might have eternal life so uh when we read that verse David asked me point blank do you believe in Jesus and that hmm. was the first time I professed so this is a couple of weeks later that I professed out loud and said yes I believe in Jesus and I I remember very much how pregnant that moment was to, to actually express, to not only believe in my heart, but also to express on my lips, uh, that, that Jesus is Lord, that I believe in Jesus. And, uh, and I remember that moment very profoundly. I remember the, the kind of, uh, joy that was there. And then I remember after the Bible study, just feeling this incredible freedom. I, I can tell you what the temperature was like, how the wind was moving mm. through the leaves, uh, uh as I went through, it was the the sun was setting a little bit, and what street it was on in state College, Pennsylvania. and uh, so just very very powerful moment for me that and 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 that was a point at which you know I had sought truth in uh, in some other ways, uh, s- searching seeking altered states and uh, you know these kinds of things to try and understand myself and reality, and all of that just went away without a struggle. Uh, i I was really, I I found what I was looking for. I was willing to throw my lot in with Christianity. And then I knew, well, I guess I need to do something on Sunday now. So (laughs) I, uh, I had been to mass a couple of times. I was dating a Catholic. And so she took me to mass a couple of times. And, uh, so I knew that. And I also had this idea already then, uh, that like the Catholic church was kind of the whole thing. And, Um, I hadn't sort of studied that at that point or or anything like that, but I just thought, well, I'm going to start doing this on Sundays. So I I started going to mass at that point. And then then there was another grace, you know, a few chapters after John chapter three is John chapter six and uh, the bread of life discourse and whoever eats my body and drinks my blood uh, lives in me and I in him. And uh, so and I just had this this sense from a couple of weeks of attending mass. Oh, this is what the Catholics are doing. This is where they're getting that. Yeah. I, I had at least registered. Take this, all of you, and eat of it. This is my body. Take this, uh, all of you, and drink from it. This is the chalice of my blood. And uh, so I, I sort of got that. That was again one of these like anyway. The Lord gave a grace there, but but it was really and I started to hunger for more. I really I really experienced how. I would do Bible study Saturday. I went to mass on Sunday. And usually by Friday, I was like a mess. I I Mm. was getting in fights with my girlfriend. I was kind of struggling with things. I was frustrated, irritated. And so I asked the guy, David, that I was studying the Bible with, I said, you know, like, could we get together more often? Like, can we get together a couple times in the week? And, and I, so I started, we started meeting three days a week at 7 a.m. So this is, I was a, a junior in college at this point. And I actually didn't know that 7am existed. So I, I discovered that uh, in the context of getting up that early to actually uh, read the scripture and pray and, and reflect. And it was really a form of Lectio Divina that we did together. It was really amazing preparation for what I would would be very much a part of my life as a Benedictine
0: monk. That's amazing. And, and, and I think, too, just the uh yeah, just the reality of, in a sense, beginning to, to develop even then as a college student of all times, a, a rhythm of prayer. And, uh, you know, I, and that, that's the main reason God didn't call me a monk is, is just those early morning. Uh, <laughs> now we have 7 a.m. mass here. So, you know, uh, <laughs> that's about it. That That's about my threshold, though. If we had any events earlier than that, I'm not, not quite sure uh, <laughs> how, I, how I would do. So for, for your life as a monk, then, um, I, I, you know, Deciding, deciding to follow Jesus, deciding to coming to the Catholic Church, and and that grace of of the Eucharist too, because I think so many people struggle for years. And the more you look into John chapter six, you know, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has life. If you don't eat my flesh, don't drink my blood, you have no life within you. Like it goes over and over and over again. It's still, it's you know, to get to that actual place of, of arriving um, for the most faithful of Christians who are arriving at at. Uh, the church's teaching and understanding of that, that the, what the Catholic Church has is the reality of what Jesus gives us himself in the whole Eucharist, not a symbol, but the, re, the, uh, the real thing. Um, what, what was that like for you to begin to, to then like this Jesus that you were learning about and learning to pray to that you could actually receive him at mass as well and, and join him in the sacraments? What, uh, what, what, what was that journey like?
1: Oh, well, I wasn't receiving him because I was uh, not even baptized at that mm-hmm. point. And, uh, and so there was uh, a little bit of time. Unfortunately, I had gone to mass with somebody who helped me, you know, not receive and understand what I was, what I was doing there. Um, you know, I didn't, I didn't fit a lot of those things together. And, uh, it's, it's one of the interesting, I sort of accepted this idea and it wasn't being challenged and I just didn't think through it very much. And a lot of this kind of developed, uh, behind the scenes, you might say, and, a couple of critical things happened. I, um, I didn't go into RCIA right away because I was doing a study abroad in Germany in the spring and I knew I wouldn't be there for the Easter vigil and so I didn't, anyway, I'm sure somebody would have worked something out but in my mind I needed to be there the whole year to do the RCIA so I thought I'll go to Germany, I'll come back my senior year, I'll go into RCIA and, and receive the sacraments. Um, while I was in Germany, I really ran into the limits of myself. Uh, I was just stretched enough to not, uh, you know, I was. I, I learned German in college, but I was taking graduate courses in math and computer science taught in German. I was uh, far away from home. That had happened many times growing up, but I just was stretched to a place that uh, I, I really felt my aloneness, my limitations, and I really cried out to God for help for the first time. And And this came in the wake of my initial thought in going to Germany was I would take a break from all of this holy stuff for a couple of months. (laughs) And uh, David had intervened with me and said, you know, I want to send you to Germany as a missionary. I thought, that's a bad idea. (laughs) But uh, I got on the plane thinking, well, if God wants me to be a missionary, he'll let me know. And uh, sure enough, a number of things happened uh, right after that. I ended up not making it to the university. I stayed with the same group, the University Bible Fellowship in Frankfurt. And then I ended up giving my life testimony at their Sunday worship service, the two days after I arrived in Germany. And uh,
0: in in German, I,
1: in German. Yeah, in German,
0: that's right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, that'll that'll God, stretch you, man. That'll stretch God you. Give your testimony in anymore. German.
1: <laughs> yeah. So I, uh, so it really, it opened things up for me. And then uh, in the In the wake of being stretched and crying out to God for help, I asked for some some real specific things, and God provided in ways I can't explain other than to say that God provided because it just was uh, remarkable events that took place and uh, in that experience i I really, for the first time, uh, just in in one of my my moments of uh, of prayer in the morning, for the first time, heard the Lord recognize his presence in my heart and and I suddenly realized that it was possible to truly relate with him. Mm. Uh, up until that point, it had been a very intellectual, you know, it had impacted me in different ways, but the idea of God really being a person with whom I could have a relationship was not something that I had understood until that experience in Germany. And then I started to relate with him all the time. This is maybe the seeds of my monastic vocation the divine presence was everywhere. And I related with him all the time. I asked him, you know, should I walk this way to class or this way to class? Should I, should I have ham for dinner or Turkey? You know, should I like, I just asked him about everything. I just, I really had this sense of God being with me and caring about my life in that way. And, and that was really the, the origin of my vocation. I started thinking about dedicating my life to sharing the gift of prayer and, uh, to come back to your question, when I got back to Penn State, after this time in Germany, I went into RCIA. And uh, and it wasn't until we were getting close to the Easter vigil, the, the guy I was studying the Bible with, he was not Catholic. And he started to challenge what I was doing in terms of Catholicism. Hmm. And uh, he wasn't opposed, but he really saw me. I was thinking about doing ministry with them. I was searching for Bible study students, fishing for for Bible studies and uh, I was doing some different ministry and then I was going to receive the sacraments and kind of be Catholic. And uh, he just thought if I'm going to receive sacraments, I should be a, a leader in the Catholic church. Mm. If I'm not going to do that, if I'm going to be a leader in the university Bible fellowship, then I shouldn't be baptized Catholic. So, which made a lot of sense and, uh, and really sent me into some turmoil because I wanted both. I just saw the goodness in in both of these things. And, and it was at this point that I, I started to think about what would it be like if I didn't receive the sacraments. I had been going to Mass for two years without receiving the Eucharist. I had really developed a longing for uh, the body of Christ, for baptism, for confession. And, uh, and it was at that time that I realized, I, maybe I could wait in a couple more months, but I can't go my whole life without receiving these sacraments. I discovered that there was a great hunger that had developed in my heart without me being fully aware of it and and connecting some of the dots and so that was really a holy thursday actually i i made the decision no i'm going to i'm going to receive the sacraments at the easter vigil and i really received the sacraments and entered the catholic church with a an intention to give my whole life to the lord and and if he wanted me to be a leader in the church that i wanted to be open to that uh, that calling and,
0: and i think too that, that that's probably kind of Maybe something that some people can mishear, and when they see that you're a monk, or, or, or is is that in a sense you've already made the difficult decision to follow Jesus? You know, like you know, following Jesus is is already uh, is that, that's that's already you know the, the most difficult thing uh, uh, to to do. So from there to become a monk to make vows of chastity and poverty and obedience. Um, in a sense, those kind of just 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 flow from that. so so was the idea of becoming a monk or or following Jesus as a priest was that already kind of strong strongly in your mind and heart when you when you were immersed in the waters of baptism, when you received Jesus for the first time in the whole Eucharist?
1: well, that that word that had kind of settled into my heart when I had that experience in prayer that I could give my life to sharing the gift of prayer. That was the hmm. the kind of central piece there. and I had turned that into evangelization in my mind. And so my initial ex- response when the, the the head of campus ministry at Penn State is a Benedictine from my monastery, uh, we run the campus ministry at Penn State. So he uh, he was taking some guys to the monastery the weekend after Easter, and he invited me to come along on that trip. And my first thought was, no, no, I'm not called to be a monk and hide away from the world. I'm called to evangelize because... That was the grace that had come to me. But I thought, well, whatever, you know, I can always check it out. And uh, of course, I discovered that my monastery uh, does things like this. Here I am on television. Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> my, my monastery does, uh, has a lot of active work it just uh, from our foundation. We've ha- always had a much more apostolic outlook. But uh, I also discovered, uh, actually, many years later, what I ended up devoting my life to really was sharing the gift of prayer. And uh, having written a book on spiritual direction, a book on personal prayer and giving a lot of spiritual direction, forming spiritual directors, teaching prayer to seminarians and to spiritual direction students, really my whole life has been dedicated to sharing the gift of prayer. Uh, But my first thought of the Benedictine monastery was not that. So Mm. Uh, the Lord the Lord guided me. I discerned with the Franciscans of the renewal, and I looked at some other places, and uh, eventually I really—I would have become a Franciscan if it were up to me, but I really heard the Lord very strongly in my heart tell me to come to St. Vincent, and then it took many years for me to figure out all of the different aspects of that. I'm sure there are more, but at least I've figured out a few at this point.
0: Excellent. Now, how, how long have you been a monk? How, how long have you actually been at St. Vincent's? Um, living I, I joined in
1: 1998, and, yeah. so
0: okay. uh, 20, 20, almost 24 years. Wow! Praise God for that. Praise God for that. And are you starting to get the hang of it now after 24 years? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you know what happens after after 24 years? You start to realize even more clearly. How far short you fall. I uh, I really I know all the things I'm not getting a hang of. I thought I was getting a hang of it before, but uh, now I really know that I'm not, and I know what to work on. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful life. I love my community, and uh, I certainly I, I have lots of room to grow. But uh, but it, but it is a beautiful life.
0: And and that mission of evangelization. First of all, your books are excellence um, on spiritual direction and personal prayer. I've got. Um, one actually you gave this to me through the heart of St. Joseph which is fantastic um, and uh, just a beautiful meditation on St. Joseph um, yeah uh, but I, I want to give just kind of a, 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 an invite uh, for those that are watching this um, on TV or watching this online because uh, you're going to be sharing that that gift of, of prayer with us we'll do another episode of Catholic America when you're down here in Panama City down in the dirty south which is coming up soon so we're, you're going to be uh, with us right before uh, we kick off um, Lent, which is really, really, really exciting. So the twenty seventh, twenty eighth of February, and the first of March, we have a three night parish mission here at Saint Dominic uh, Parish with you. So tell us a little bit about, uh, about that, about uh, what what you hope to share with us in, in your time at the end of February and beginning of March here here in Panama City.
1: Well, I'm really excited about that. I, I it's been great to get to know you, Father Michael, and to start working with your uh, your parish staff and. Uh, really the same theme, to share the gift of prayer. It really makes a tremendous, it makes all the difference in our lives when we really come to know God in this personal way, which is not just saying prayers, but is really relating with him. And and a beautiful way that we do that is through the sacred scripture. So uh, incorporating prayer into our lives. And I like to be real about that. You know, its uh, I, I mentioned a couple of great moments in prayer. That's not what most of our prayer life consists of. Most mm. of our prayer life, like most relationships, you know, people who are married uh, have those great moments where they fell in love, where he, he asked the question, where they, they went on, they had their first baby. There are great moments in married life. But everybody knows married life consists mostly of the daily grind. And, and a lot of prayer settles into that place. And what do we do with that? How do we discover God in that? How do we find God in our lives? How do we hear God speak to us through His Word, through the Sacred Scripture? How can we pray with Scripture in a way that helps us to relate with Him? Um, these are the kinds of topics that I'll talk about with uh, whoever is uh, willing to come and listen, and and we'll take time to do it too. I think uh, it's always dangerous to do a lot of talking about prayer and no praying, and so we'll we'll have some opportunities. I'll lead uh, lead the folks through some ways of actually encountering Jesus and in, in His Word.
0: Well, we are really, really excited about that um, here at Saint Dominic. Again, that's going to be February twenty seventh, twenty eighth, and March first. And you'll be uh, that weekend of the twenty sixth and twenty seventh. You'll be preaching the masses as well. But just to dive deep into uh, the 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 riches of the Church's tradition, particularly on prayer, praying with the Bible, and getting more out of our faith, we're so excited about that, Um, and very blessed. And 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 we'll continue. And we're going to do an episode of Catholic in America. With you here, <laughs> while you're here um, in the studio, which which will be great as well, and hopefully we can we can dive a little bit deeper into um, some tips and understanding for people to go deeper with with their their life of prayer. Um, so with that, uh, that that call to evangelize because you shared something, and I think it, it's it's a um, maybe a, maybe a challenge to us who are Catholic. Um, both you and I uh, were both converts. You converted, I converted with my family when I was pretty young, but but you as a, as an adult convert. Um, that zeal that we have for evangelization our bishop just recently wrote a letter on evangelization the church talks a lot about this but for a lot of catholics we still struggle with that and even what what you shared from your own story were some catholics that were probably in a position to share their faith with you that in a sense maybe didn't for whatever reason and uh and and so kind of missed out and then someone praise god for our, our our brothers and sisters in the evangelical protestant world who one of them did reach out to you and 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 uh and and offer to walk with you and read the Bible with you. So what would you say to Catholics, um, maybe who've grown up with with the richness and the treasures of our faith that are so deep and profound, that sometimes we don't really always uh, take advantage of it, and many times don't share it with others?
1: Yeah, well, you, you said it, Father Michael, the, the the riches of our faith. It really is such a gift to be Catholic, and uh, and we have so much to offer. And and, and we should really own that and take hold of it and be excited to share it with people. It really makes a huge difference in our lives. One of my joys, I mentioned I was a student at Penn State, and then uh, I entered the monastery. I was ordained a priest, and I went back to Penn State. I, I helped with the campus ministry, but I also got my doctorate in computer science. And I was able to tell the students there, I know what it's like to be a computer scientist without faith. And I know what it's like to study computer science with faith. And I can tell you, it's better with faith. Hmm. <laughs> and wow. we, we need to really own that. And, and if we don't know exactly why, start to ask those questions. What difference does it make in my life? I, I love to begin homilies that way and just ask, like, what difference does it make to be Christian? You need to have an answer to that. And so uh, also just having an event like you're hosting at the parish is is a great opportunity just to invite somebody else. and. And then talk about it afterward. Um, Maybe you don't know a lot about prayer and prayer with scripture, and you want to come and both learn and experience. Bring somebody with you. Bring five people with you. And then go out to dinner afterward and just talk about what you experienced. But we have to have some zeal. The the secular world wants to make this a sideline, wants to make Mm. it an appendix or a footnote on our lives. But it is front and center. Christ is the answer. He is the center of our lives, and we have to learn how to really place Him there, worship Him there, and then share what a difference it makes to be genuinely Christian.
0: Absolutely. And and I think, too, just something we've, we've been talking a lot about, and again, the opportunity that we have um, for our parish mission here at St. Dominic um, in Panama City, so if you want to travel to Panama City to St. Dominic Parish, um uh that that'd be great um uh, but to, to invite a friend and i think that's so important there's so many people and and our brothers and sisters who aren't yet catholic who maybe who have a love for the lord and want more want to go deeper um this is a great opportunity i think for them as well from from the richness of the christian tradition um uh for, for you as a monk being able to, to to share that which brings us right back to the bible and and i think learning to realize that God is speaking to us. And so, so for you, yeah, maybe just, we, we can kind of end, um, end here for, for, uh, what, what has God been saying to you recently? And, uh, and, 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 and I'd love to hear that because it's, it's everything the Lord's speaking to you is always, is always, uh, uh giving me new insights. <laughs> Not to put you on the spot well, or anything.
1: <laughs> oh no, I love it. That's great. I, uh, you know, the, his, his word in Matthew chapter 18 Uh, which is repeated in the synoptic gospels and in just a little different form in john's gospel which is unless you become like this child you cannot enter the kingdom of god and i've really been uh, recovering some childlike parts in my life and my in my heart and uh the it's a it's a part of me that's that's very young that gets very excited to share things you know and it's Mm. one of the reasons i love to do this kind of thing and i look forward to the mission and there's a, there's a little part of me that just loves to gather up things and then share them with people. And I, I get so excited to do that and and allowing that part of my heart. You know, of course, that part gets hurt when people don't want to receive it. And, and that's part of my own personal history. And that's some of what the healing and recovery is about, is, is giving room to that little uh, nine-year-old uh, version of me that that just loves to learn and to grow and to to share with other people. So... Um, but that that passage from Matthew's gospel that Jesus would say, you know, it's an absolute condition. He doesn't say, uh, you know, obviously we have to live the Ten Commandments. We like to quote from Matthew 25, whatever you did to one of these least brothers and sisters of mine, you did to me the last judgment. But he says, unless you become like this child, and there's something about childlikeness, openness, wonder, receptivity, trust in a father— uh, and embracing our, our limitations and humility, our littleness, and, and not despising that. Uh, that there's something that's, that's really essential in Christianity about that and, and something very beautiful. So that's uh, something I've been, I've been praying with a lot and, and, uh, and sharing with people.
0: That's great. Well, I'm, I'm going to take that to prayer today <laughs> as well. <laughs> well, Father Boniface Hicks, um, how can people find you online if, if people want to uh, your, your books and your, your talks and videos and other things?
1: Well, I do have a website that uh, could be more updated. But anyway, uh, there's uh, quite a bit on there, fatherboniface.org. So you spell out father, F-A-T-H-E-R. And then you have to spell Boniface right, bonifac uh, .org. And um, uh, ref- there's links to my books. They're, they're all for sale through uh, Amazon or wherever you like to buy books. But then also uh, it's at Mays Road Publishers. And, uh, and then there's some videos and uh, audio, my own story uh, in various forms, different teachings that I've done, things like that. Uh, and then I also help to run an institute, the Institute for Ministry Formation, Seminary, all spelled out, um, dot, dot .edu. And uh, there's uh, some other links to things, the Spiritual Direction Program, courses that I teach, some other things uh, available
0: through that. That's, that's really awesome. And so, Father Boniface, it's so great to have you, man. Thanks so much for taking the time to be with us. It's so great to be with you, Father Michael. All right. God bless you all. Thank you guys for watching today, and we look forward to seeing you next time on Catholic in America.